Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Hi, I'm Carmen Baskoff here with Lydia Brown. We're the producers of Where We Live, and we're taking a few moments out of your podcast uh, just to ask you to uh, think about um, making a donation to continue allowing us to produce Where We Live and uh, bring it to you every day. Uh, the number to donate is 1-800-584-2788, or you can go online to wnpr.org slash donate. Think about the content that you hear on this station and specifically on this program, where each day we work hard to keep you connected to your community, to the issues that matter most to the people in your backyard. If that is something that you value, we hope you'll support it today. It's quick, it's easy, and it's secure, and it's so appreciated by us. one 800 or online at wnpr.org, and thank you. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Malpathanchel. We've devoted entire episodes to marine wildlife like sharks and whales because they're such interesting species. And we can't help but be in awe when we've been lucky enough to see them in their natural habitats. But these animals face a lot of challenges today. Just last week, scientists and policymakers from 60 countries gathered in Barcelona to discuss marine science and conservation issues. Coming up, we'll hear from a marine scientist based in Maine who was there. He'll talk to us about how climate change is impacting marine wildlife today and what we can do about it. First, there's a good chance you visited Mystic Aquarium in Connecticut. The aquarium is known for its beluga whales, and Mystic is hoping to acquire more of them. But some animal, animal welfare groups have raised concerns over the proposal, so we wanted to learn more about Mystic Aquarium's plans, and we invited Dr. Tracy Romano to join us. She's head of research at Mystic Aquarium. Dr. Romano, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lucy. It's great to be here. And I wanted to let our listeners know they can also join in on the conversation, the number 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Dr. Romano, I mentioned that Mystic is known for having uh, beluga whales, but I didn't know the history of how the aquarium acquired the three beluga whales that you have today. Could you talk about that history? Absolutely. Mystic Aquarium has had beluga whales since the 80s. One of our whales was captured from the wild uh, back in the 80s. And the other whales are uh, through a cooperative agreement with the Association of Zoos and Aquariums accredited facilities, so other aquariums in the United States. And why beluga whales? Beluga whales are so important to our ecosystem. And We are doing so much research to understand and promote their conservation in the wild. And as many of us know, climate change, the the Arctic is ground zero for climate change. And these animals live in the Arctic and subarctic areas. So by having these animals in our care, we can learn as much as we can to contribute to their conservation in the wild while educating people about beluga whales as well and what they can do to help the animals Mm -hmm. in the wild. 
So when we travel down to Mystic, uh, many of us who have children have uh, have taken uh, our kids, and, and they're mesmerized when they see animals like beluga whales in front of them. Can you tell us about the three specific whales that you have, uh, their their names, so to speak, how old they are, and you know exactly how long you've had them? You mentioned one since uh, was born in the 1980s. Sure, that's Keela. She's one of our older females. She's 37 years of age. Natasha is also uh, an older female the same age as Keela, 37 years. And then we have Juno, who's our male, approximately 17 years of age. Mm. So these, uh, again, these beluga whales are uh, living in captivity. If they were in the wild, how long would they live? Do we know? They would, we would get, we animals that are under human care live much longer. Of course, they don't have the threat of predators. They don't have the pollution. They don't have all the threats and the insults that we have put on their environment. So some of the major concerns have been increased shipping traffic, loud sound in our ocean, pollution, oil spills, emerging pathogens. These animals are all protected from that. So they live much longer in our care. Mm. And is it rare to have uh, beluga whales uh, at an aquarium in the United States? Any other facilities? that also have belugas? Absolutely. Again, as I mentioned, there's other aquariums that are accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums that also have belugas in, in their care. So we invited you today to talk about uh, this proposal for Mystic Aquarium to acquire five more beluga whales currently at Marine Land in uh, Niagara Falls, uh, Canada, Ontario, Canada, I believe. So tell us why you want uh, to import these five whales to Mystic. These, uh, uh, the addition of five whales uh, to bring to Mystic for our research is really critical. Again, right now we're able to do research on, on three of our animals, but we really need to increase the robustness of our studies, to increase our samples, to look at uh, different aged and sex animals. And really, the time is now. We feel an urgency for this just because of what's happening in the Arctic. I've had the privilege of not only studying animals at the aquarium, but actually going to the Arctic year after year. And I've seen the changes firsthand. And we're basically running out of time. And that's been shown with the vaquita, for example, one of the smallest porpoises. I mean, we're, we're basically, that animal's going to be extinct if it's not already. And the same is happening with the North Atlantic right whale um, amidst other multiple species of marine mammals. So for the beluga, with everything that's happening in the Arctic and the Arctic ground zero for climate change, we really need to start now. Mm-hmm. And we're worried about the future for belugas and other Arctic mammals, given the loss of sea ice and how they rely on the sea ice. And so really the, the, the time is now. And there are some endangered populations of belugas, especially the Cook Inlet beluga in the United States right off of Anchorage, one of the busiest industrial ports in Alaska. So we're concerned about Cook Inlet belugas. We're concerned about the St. Lawrence beluga in Canada. And many, and there's a few other smaller populations that are on the decline and threatened. So our overall goal is to maintain those populations of belugas that are healthy, to keep them healthy, but then to address 
how we can help protect and promote the health of those belugas that are endangered and on the decline. Uh, Dr. Tracy Romano, again, is with us here on Where We Live. Uh, she's chief scientist at Mystic Aquarium. You can join our conversation, 888-720-WMPR, as we talk about Mystic's uh, plans to acquire more beluga whales uh, to the aquarium. Uh, Dr. Romano, you mentioned that uh, there are specific areas in um, that beluga whales are uh, facing uh, more danger. So what do we know from scientists in terms of their populations? And is it mostly, is it because of our warming planet? Is it because of ship strikes that, that endanger some of these populations of belugas? Sure. For, for the most part, beluga populations are thriving. There's approximately 150,000 belugas um, in the Arctic and subarctic. However, as I mentioned, there are certain populations that are critically endangered. And, and the, the one in our mind at the forefront is really the Cook Inlet beluga. That's, that's critically endangered, as well as the St. Lawrence beluga. So there are certain pressures, I would say, in terms of, of we don't really know the exact cause of why these animals aren't recovering, but the major players come into mind, such as changes in the climate, which make them more vulnerable to anthropogenic and man-made threats, such as more shipping traffic, um, the potential for oil spills, mineral extraction, um, you know, loud sound associated with all these things. And, and with the loss of sea ice in the Arctic, there are predators that are now coming into that area that weren't there before. There are emerging pathogens that are coming into this area and making these animals more vulnerable. So there are so many different things at play here. It's hard to really pinpoint one, one exact cause. Mm-hmm. Dr. Romano, you know that uh, there's nothing uh, like seeing a whale uh, before us, whether it's in, if we're lucky enough to travel to the Arctic or be off of, uh, uh, you know, Cape Cod and see uh, some of the whales that live there. Uh, But people also have concerns when they see animals in captivity. And so if you could talk a little bit more about um, some of those concerns that people raise. Uh, We just got a a tweet from uh, uh, Jules who says, I never approved of the installation and relocation of the first belugas at Mystic. Uh, It's not an appropriate space for them. Uh, This person believes it's far too small. So can you address some of those concerns? Absolutely. First of all, we have the largest habitat at Mystic Aquarium in the United States for belugas. We are regulated by the United States Department of Agriculture. And believe it or not, we have three belugas in, in our habitat, but we can by by those regulations actually hold over 40 belugas. We would never do that, um, but there is ample space in our habitat for belugas. As I mentioned, it's one of it's one of the largest. Mm. Uh, also, um, when we think about uh, the research that uh, scientists have been able uh, to perform on marine mammals like whales, uh, why not be able to do that in the wild? What are some of the benefits of, of being able to do research at Mystic Aquarium? Yeah. So I, I've had the privilege of studying animals in the wild, and I also study animals in the aquarium. And I can tell you that there are some things we just can't answer by studying the animals in the wild. And it's the power of being able to study them in human care as well as in the wild. So, for example, 
animals in the aquarium, we know all about them. We know their health history. We know what they've been eating. We know where their food is coming from. We know how much they've been eating. We also know all about their habitat, what the temperature is, what the salinity is, what the water chemistry is. When we're studying these animals in the wild, these are variables that impinge with some of the work that we're trying to do. And even more importantly, our animal care and husbandry team can train the animals to voluntarily give us biological samples Mm -hmm. that we can then study and develop assays to assess health, which will then be applied to animals in the wild. They can also be trained to participate in research. And so it's a very much a controlled environment, whereas when we're studying the animals in the wild, which we do every summer in the Arctic, we have no control over some of these variables that we do with the animals in our care. From Connecticut Public Radio, this is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. My guest in studio, Dr. Tracy Romano, head of research at Mystic Aquarium. As we learn more about this proposal, again, uh, Mystic Aquarium asking for a scientific research permit to allow uh, the importation of five more belugas to Mystic Aquarium. Uh, Not everyone agrees with this proposal. We're going to hear from the Animal Welfare Institute in just a little bit. And we also want to hear from you. You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 8 Eight eight seven two zero WNPR. Hi, I'm Lydia Brown here with Carmen Baskoff. We're the producers of Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio, and we want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Where We Live podcast. Uh, We're taking a moment also to ask you to support the work that we do on this program to ensure that it is here for weeks and months and years to come. It's quick, it's easy, and it's secure. All you have to do is go to the phones 1-800-584-2788 or go online to wnpr.org. I think one of the tricky things about a, a live radio show is uh, we're, we are only in one time block, and that might not be a time you're able to listen. So that's the, the great part of the podcast. You can take Where We Live with you wherever you're going at whatever time. So if that's something that's important to you, something you rely on to learn about what's happening in your community and in the world, the number to call 1-800-584-2788, or you can go online to wnpr.org slash donate. And thanks. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're learning why Mystic Aquarium has requested a scientific research permit from the federal government that would allow it to import five captive beluga whales from Canada, adding to the three beluga whales it has here in Connecticut. Mystic Aquarium's head of research, Dr. Tracy Romano, is in studio with me. And joining us now by phone is Georgia Hancock, lawyer for the Animal Welfare Institute, a nonprofit based in Washington, D.C. Georgia, welcome to the show. Thank you. So tell us uh, first, just briefly, for our listeners who may not be familiar with AWI, you know, what is your mission? Our mission is to reduce animal suffering caused by people. Um, AWI seeks better treatment of animals everywhere, in labs, on the farm, in commerce, at home, and in the wild. So we heard uh, Dr. Tracy Romano from Mystic Aquarium talk about why they have asked uh, for a scientific research permit to import five belugas to Mystic Aquarium. Uh, What is uh, Animal Welfare Institute's uh, view on this? What are some of your concerns about this proposal? Yes. 
AWI recognizes both the need for scientific research on belugas and the quality of MYSTIC's research program. However, this is not just a proposed research permit. These whales would also be on public display. In 2016, the U.S. banned imports of this stock of whales for public display because science showed the wild population's numbers were too low and the trade in these whales was unsustainable. Any trade in these animals anywhere encourages wild captures and trade elsewhere in the world. Granting the permit would set a dangerous precedent by opening loopholes in both U.S. and Canadian laws. For example, Mystic wants to allow the whales to reproduce, which would directly contradict Canada's new law governing captive marine mammals. Mm. We believe Mystic should invest the time, money, and staff needed to conduct the research right at Marineland, which for the whales would avoid the stress of both transport and having to adapt mm. to a new social environment. So I wanted to have Dr. Tracy Romano from Mystic respond to your points that you raised, uh, Georgia Hancock. Uh, Dr. Romano, uh, first up, uh, talk a little bit about what the law permits and this idea that if these belugas were um, allowed to come to Mystic, they would also be on display. Uh, she's saying that would be against the law? Well, actually, the Marine Mammal Protection Act allows an exemption for research purposes. So um, our habitat, we have no backup space. So yes, these animals, uh, it, while we're doing this research, would be on display to the public, which the Marine Mammal Protection Act allows. Um, and I see it as really giving an opportunity to engage the public and tell them about the importance of the research and what's happening to these animals in the wild, because I really think we need the public behind this to really help with the conservation of these animals and the environment. Mm -hmm. So I see it as an opportunity to educate. And what about this other point that Georgia raised, uh, that these uh, five belugas that are in uh, Canada, uh, they are actually, uh, they were captive born, but they're part of, I guess, uh, the, the family that was a part of a depleted stock, and that this, you know, I'm not allowing this again, the captive belugas to continue to reproduce. What do you, what do you think about that point? Well, well, um, basically, these are, again, they're, they're captive born. But these, the animals that were captured from Russia, when they were captured over 10 years ago, the stock wasn't depleted. The, as Georgia mentioned, the, the depletion was declared only a couple years ago. So, and, and basically, um, you know, the genetics of these animals, some may be from depleted, some are not. So it's not clear what, what, you know, what, what mm -hmm. constitutes a depleted stock. But again, there's an exemption for research in the Marine Mammal Protection Act. And when we say depleted stock, that means exactly that there, there are low numbers in this particular part of the correct, world? Correct, correct. And why not um, have a Mystic, I mean, Mystic uh, Aquarium partners with many other uh, research uh, uh, facilities and organizations? Uh, why not uh, do the research at Marine Land in Canada instead of uh, trying to uh, move these whales, if you get permission, uh, to Mystic? Right. So we've proposed eight studies under the research, which all tie back to the Cook Inlet Recovery Plan for conservation of belugas in, in Cook Inlet and in the Arctic and subarctic. Um, some of those studies, we 
we can get samples from the animals that are at marine land. However, for the most part of those studies, it involves extensive training and working with individual animals. Those animals are in such a crowded situation right now that it will almost be impossible to train them, for example, for some of the diving physiology studies, uh, for some of the other studies that we're proposing to do. So it makes it very difficult to train animals for the studies and research. And in addition, given my experience of getting samples across the border, and I've, I've worked in Canada for many years and trying to get biological samples over over the border. It doesn't always go as planned. So there's there's room. F- the, the goal would be to get the samples so they're still viable back to Mystic Aquarium, and that is a challenge. It's not an insurmountable challenge, but it's not always uh, a guarantee. Mm-hmm. And besides, all of our experts in training, all of our scientists, all of our quality control is here at Mystic Aquarium. I wanted to take a couple of calls. Before I do that, though, I wanted to allow Georgia Hancock, a lawyer for the Animal Welfare Institute, to respond to Dr. Tracy Romano's points. Sure. Um, so for starters, the research, or, um, the reasons that Mystic has given for not wanting to conduct the research at Marineland essentially amount to inconvenience. While it might cost more money and take more time, conducting the research at Marineland would provide a larger sample size, wouldn't flout the laws on both sides of the border, and would avoid causing stress to the animals um, from transport and having to adapt to a new environment. Um, I'd also say that... um, So even though there is a scientific research exemption, the whales, the fact that the whales would be on public display and that they're from a depleted population changes the calculus. That sort of import is actually prohibited under the law. And the fact that the depleted designation happened only a few years ago is irrelevant. It still applies to all biological members of the stock, Um, and there is various legal precedent for that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to to bring in uh, some callers now into a conversation again about uh, this proposal to bring more beluga whales to Mystic Aquarium. Amanda's calling in from Meriden. Amanda, you're on the show. Hi. Um, So I grew up in New London, and um, when I was a young girl, we were members of uh, what it was then Mystic Marine Life Aquarium. And um, so, of course, I'm about the same age as your female belugas. And I love them. I think they're wonderful. I worry that there is just, I know you said there's enough space for 40 belugas in that tank, but it certainly doesn't seem like enough space for more. And I also remember the problems that you had with the dolphins, uh, mm. which were there when I was when I was a girl. All right. Um, Amanda, thank you for your call. Um, actually, what is the dolphin issue that? that so the referring? dolphin, the dolphins were at Mystic Aquarium before I arrived. But my knowledge of that is that the reason that the um, the habitat was moved and Mystic Aquarium underwent that expansion was to move the belugas to the outdoor environment. 
And so again, just to just to clarify, we would never put 40 belugas in that habitat. My point was that through regulations where we are allowed to do that. However, we would never do that. And I want to say that we have comfortably and successfully had 10 belugas in that habitat at a time. Mm. Uh, Fran's calling in. Uh, Fran, go ahead. Yes, this is Fran Tillman from uh, Friends of Animals. Um, I wanted to make three points. Um, we put habitat protection and wildlife at the center of our focus. And um, the reason we have filed comments against um, the belugas coming to mistake are a, a threefold. One is separating them from their families and psychological harm of the transport. Um, the gold standard for conservation is actually putting belugas back into their habitats, and that never is done after uh, beluga is captured and brought to an aquarium. Um, and it's very doubtful that captive whales can teach us, uh, belugas can teach us much more than has been already learned. As Jacques Cousteau said, there is about as much educational benefit to be gained in studying dolphins in captivity as would be studying mankind by only observing prisoners in solitary confinement. And the same goes to belugas. The good news is we all want to save belugas. are really important to the environment. Actually, there's a new study that shows that um, they capture carbon from the atmosphere, and when they die, the carbon is then sequestered um, at the bottom of the ocean. So keeping them in their natural habitats is actually vitally important. Well, thank you, for uh, Fran, for, for calling in and raising the, uh, those uh, several points. Uh, let's talk about something that Fran brought up, because uh, as you know, Dr. Tracy Romano, uh, again, um, while we love to see these animals up close, there is the concern about uh, their, uh, how this might impact a particular species, especially something uh, whales are highly intelligent, this idea of, of separating them from family. They've been living at marine land in Canada for some time uh, with other belugas. So talk about how uh, that will impact, uh, you know, how that impacts these animals and, and how you would go about transporting them if you're given federal permission. Right. So in terms of transport, uh, aquariums transport, uh, the professionals with expertise uh, transport animals all the time. And these animals are transported with animal care professionals that are with them all the time. And the transport from marine land is a one-hour plane flight, whereas recently um, the Animal Welfare Institute, um, there was a multi-day transport from two belugas in China mm -hmm. to go to a sanctuary in Iceland. So we're not concerned at all with, with the transport. We have care, uh, animal care professionals that deal with this on a regular basis, and it's actually an opportunity to study the physiological response uh, to transport. As far as um, bringing these animals to Mystic Aquarium, you know, right now it's, it is an animal welfare situation where you have 55 belugas that are in this situation with four more that were just born. Mm -hmm. We feel that by bringing these five animals to Mystic and establishing a new social group, uh, belugas are very social animals. When I've gone up to uh, Canada to study their behavior. You see animals mixing and matching and and socializing. It's a wonderful thing to see them uh, up in Somerset Island in Cunningham Inlet. Uh, but basically, they are social animals establishing a social group. 
we're we're not concerned about. In fact, that's what we're we're trying to mm. to promote. We just have a couple of minutes left. Again, uh, there was a, a public hearing before uh, NOAA Fisheries. This is the the federal agency that you're requesting the scientific research permit. Um, any idea when they will decide, or this agency will decide, if Mystic can indeed import these five beluga whales? Right. I, I, they're taking all of the comments and reviewing all of those comments. And um, I think the earliest we may hear is in February. But again, I, I'm not exactly sure, but the but sometime in the next few months. Uh, Georgia Hancock was with us, an attorney for the Animal Welfare Institute. Uh, Georgia, uh, the, the federal government has uh, granted, uh, I think, applications uh, for these permits uh, in the past. Uh, if this happens, uh, what will be AWI's next steps? We will have to evaluate the decision that is handed down and and see from there. But um, it will it will depend on the circumstances that uh, and the conditions that are placed on the permit. Well, I want to thank Georgia Hancock uh, for calling in today, uh, a lawyer for the Animal Welfare Institute. Georgia, thank you. Thank you. Also with us uh, in studio is Dr. Tracy Romano, head of research at Mystic Aquarium. Uh, Dr. Romano, we appreciate you coming in uh, to describe uh, this proposal and uh, the benefits for the aquarium. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we talk about the issues on the minds of marine scientists around the globe who recently gathered in Spain. Now, how's climate change affecting marine wildlife and what can be done about it? Uh, we'll find out coming up. Before we do that, it is Connecticut Public Radio's end of the year membership drive. If you appreciate the wide variety of conversations we have on Where We Live, please support this program and Connecticut Public with a pledge. Here's the number to call. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up tomorrow, uh, many of us are waiting for that next package to be delivered from Amazon. But what's it like to work at an Amazon warehouse? We'll be speaking to a journalist who wrote the book On the Clock, Emily Gindelsberger. You can join us. That's tomorrow. Now, uh, today, you've seen the headlines about climate change. Most recently, scientists at the UN Climate Conference detailed how the world's oceans are losing oxygen at a faster rate than ever before. How does this paired with other issues like oceans getting more acidic impact marine wildlife. Scientists from more than 60 countries gathered last week and also in Spain and Barcelona to talk about this and more. Uh, joining us uh, via, via phone is Zach Cliver, who's a marine scientist and co-founder of Blue Planet Strategies in Maine. Uh, he was also uh, at this World Marine Mammal Conference in Spain. Uh, Zach, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. I understand that uh, you've been working uh, in this field for some time, uh, taking people out on, on whale excursions in New England. So when we think about climate change, uh, across the board, it's impacting species uh, in different ways. Uh, when you were doing this presentation, what were some of the, the themes that you heard from other marine scientists about the future of marine wildlife? Uh, well, we hosted a workshop that was an all-day pre-conference workshop. We had 22 countries represented, three territories, and uh, 70 scientists and, and conservationists. And um, it was impressive to hear from scientists from the North Pole to the South Pole about the dramatic uh, changes um, and uh, regime shifts, uh, changes in in, in um, migration timing and movements, and uh, the decrease in sea ice was a common theme, and the increase in marine heat waves. Mm. And <clears throat> all around the world, we're seeing really dramatic uh, impacts 
on, on, on marine mammal populations, and in some cases we're on the leading edge of understanding some of those uh, in terms of like the subtle effects uh, from climate. Mm. Oh, well, there's often a lot of focus on climate, and that's a good thing. But when we think specifically about um, some marine wildlife like whales, uh, a big challenge that they face are ship strikes. Was that discussed as well? Uh, yes. In fact, there was a whole uh, morning session about ship strikes with many panelists that uh, spoke to that. And uh, it's an issue that uh, uh, my organization is working on with the Great Whale Conservancy, or one of the leaders in, in working with the shipping industry and retail, uh, uh, large retail businesses like uh, Walmart and others to, to reduce the impact of uh, whales being hit and killed by ships around the world. Um, we now know from the International Monetary Fund uh, report that was put out that the economic value of whales uh, may be over a trillion dollars in terms of the benefits that they provide in carbon sequestration. Uh, that is when they, they absorb a lot of carbon during their life and they take it to the ocean floor when they die. Uh, uh, then uh, from tourism, from, from uh, increasing the productivity of the oceans and fisheries, through their their waste and the, and the way that the whale pump works in the ocean by taking uh, food from deep in the ocean to the surface, uh, so there's there's enormous uh, climate impact from just the presence or the well the abundance of whales, and uh, so we uh, are working. Uh, many organizations are working to to reduce the loss and increase the numbers of whales. Uh, Zach Cliver, again, is a marine scientist uh, based in Maine. Uh, I mentioned that for many years you've been uh, taking people out on whale excursions. You're based in New England. We hear a lot about uh, the North Atlantic right whale, uh, the numbers not looking good. What do we know about why this species is in danger while other uh, whales, I believe it's the humpback whale, is seeing a resurgence? Yes. Uh, the, the North Atlantic right whale has, in the last uh, 10 years, uh, gone from a population close to 500 to now to 400. And key in this is that there's only about 100 uh, breeding females. And one of the really significant impacts is, is the climate. Um, there was a huge shift in warm, deep water coming into the Gulf of Maine, affecting their historic feeding area in the Bay of Funday and decreasing their prey, which is a type of small copepod uh, that live in the ocean that were historically very abundant there. So right whales have been on the move, moving more in search of food, and they've shifted their range, many of them going uh, up into the Gulf of St. Lawrence where they were more vulnerable to ship strikes and entanglement. And so uh, in the last three years, we've had 30 whales that have died uh, due to ship strikes and entanglement. And um, the fact that the, the climate is, is, make, is making it more challenging for them to find food has also resulted in a decrease in, uh, scientists believe, in a, in a decrease in reproduction. There's only been uh, 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 12 calves born between 2017, uh, 18, and 19. And now we're excited to see a few new calves that have been born this year already uh, down in Florida and Georgia. Mm -hmm. 
When we talk about uh, the impact on climate change, uh, many people uh, wonder what they can do about it. Um, as someone who is a science communicator, you're a naturalist, you're talking to people um, you know, face-to-face about the, the changes that you're seeing and other scientists are seeing. So what are um, some suggestions for our listeners as they hear about uh, populations that are in danger? Well, I think there's so many things that we can do. Um, I think on the local level, there's there's great energy and movement. And uh, uh, on the island where I live, of Mount Desert, there's an organization called Climate to Thrive, and they're dedicated to uh, creating al- alternative energy using solar and wind and changing our all our energy system over to alternative energy uh, by 2050. Um, so uh, around the world, there's lots of great examples of local efforts that are that are that are being very effective, supporting that and doing what you can in your own house uh, and, and and to influence your politics in your own state to to be uh, active to change. Um, but also things on the national level like supporting uh, the Senate Caucus, uh, Climate Solutions Caucus, which is a bipartisan um, caucus of Republican and and Democratic senators which are working, and that's a very exciting development, Um, or supporting organizations that are working on this issue, uh, or writing letters, uh, maybe even in a letter to ExxonMobil asking them to make all efforts to to, uh, change, because we really need a dramatic global change to to, um, restore and uh, recover or even reduce the impact of of climate change. We've been focusing much of our hour on marine mammals, but since you're in Maine, uh, you have uh, the the opportunity to see seabirds, puffins. Uh, What have you been noticing about how those populations are changing? Well, um, seabirds are also uh, a canary in the coal mine, uh, and they are certainly impacted by shifts in um, temperature and fish. So uh, puffins, uh, their populations have been go, been affected, going up and down with, with the changes in, in the fish related to climate. Um, and some seabird populations in the North Atlantic and Alaska have gone through large mortalities uh, where there's been um, huge die-offs uh, that scientists are very concerned that are linked to climate. So um, the, 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 the long-term studies that have been taking place really uh, offer us an opportunity to understand and, and use these birds as indicators to the health of the oceans mm-hmm. and help us understand um, our impact. I mentioned that Zach Clavergan on the phone with us uh, was at this uh, conference, uh, this World Marine Mammal Conference in Barcelona, where uh, scientists and policymakers from over 60 countries uh, gathered. So you were uh, getting a lot of information. What happens next in terms of of getting this information out uh, to to policymakers, uh, to people around the globe? Well, excuse me. I think that uh, we um, we talked about that a lot uh, at at, a, at recent conferences, including this one. Um, we have got to do a better job of communicating the science to the public and sharing this information, and 
we need to include policymakers and 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 people in positions of power um, at these conferences. We need to do a better job of of bringing them in or or finding ways to reach them. Um, it was it was it was interesting to be there the 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 entire time in Barcelona when next door um, we had the COP25 as you mentioned and we had some participants from that come to us and and, and express that very sentiment that they felt that we should be more engaged on the international level. So um, we we hope to play a part in trying to get this information out and publish a report um, that summarizes a lot of the findings that, that were uh, shared at the conference. Any one of us can't do every you know enough, but all of us together, if we um, share the science and work together to find themes and help uh, people understand, can can help the the decision makers understand the magnitude of what we're facing and and the and, and how it's affecting um the animals that uh, many species that are very vulnerable to, to to the loss of ice like polar bears um walrus and uh narwhal for example or even in antarctica there's very ice dependent species that are being impacted when we think about uh, the U.S. Uh, backing out of, of climate change uh, commitments, uh, you know, how was that discussed at this conference? And are you optimistic that the international community can work together uh, despite these setbacks? Well, I, I feel that uh, there, there is a lot happening uh, despite um, the resistance and that the, this, the sign that well, the uh, the example that the Senate has set with this bipartisan coalition with a number of Republicans coming over and really taking this serious is a really important development. Um, it, you know, many of the countries that and people in other countries I talk to that are committed to change, changing over um, and affecting climate are surprised by um, the U.S., the lack of leadership in this, this area. And uh, I think that um we we continue to we need to continue to support efforts that uh raise the awareness of uh what is happening and uh you know support uh, people that uh, are that are bringing that message forward I mentioned that you um, have been doing these whale excursions. We just got a, a couple minutes left, but I, I am curious. Uh, the first time I saw a whale up close was off of uh, Plymouth, and it, that, that experience stayed with me. Uh, what was the experience that hooked you into uh, your work today, Zach? You know, I went uh, when I was in college. Uh, I, I grew up on the coast of Maine in a fishing family. But it wasn't until I went to college uh, that I went on a whale-watching trip up in the Bay of Funday. And uh, on that trip, we went out and we saw eight right whales. And we had a mother and calf right whale swim up to the boat and all around us on their own. Um, we had right whales breaching. We saw humpbacks, finbacks, hundreds of dolphins. And for me, growing up on the coast of Maine, never really experiencing um, what was like a safari, like a, the Serengeti in Africa, just the, the, the absolute abundance and beauty. Uh, I was completely hooked. I, I encourage everyone who hasn't had a chance to go whale watching to do it. I've been fortunate. I've worked in Antarctica and the Arctic and led trips all around the world and had a chance to, to 
in, encounter lots of different marine mammals, and they're they're incredibly fascinating. They're incredibly beautiful, and they have a lot in common with us. Well, I want to thank uh, Zach Cliver for joining us again. A marine scientist, co-founder of Blue Planet Strategies in Maine. Uh, Zach, we look forward to learning more about uh, some of the outreach out of this uh, World Marine Mammal Conference that you attended. We appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Panina Beatty. Also, thanks to Carmen Baskoff. And our technical producer is Kion Wolf. You can learn more about the show. Just download uh, Where We Live on your favorite podcast app. Before I let you go, it's a reminder. It's uh, Connecticut Public Radio's uh, end-of-the-year fundraising campaign. Again, if you appreciate being able to join in on the conversation on the wide variety of topics that we tackle each and every day, uh, we ask you for your support of this program and all the great programming here on WNPR, Connecticut Public Radio. Here are two of my colleagues to tell you how.